Precious Father, just uh, we ask for your presence to be in our class tonight. Quicken us, Father, we just ask for wisdom. Uh, we ask for just your Holy Spirit to uh, speak in a, in a personal way tonight. Encourage us. We think of the church, the mystery of the church, and um, we can't have a business mind about the church. We really have to have just wisdom from above for the church, so... We pray that these uh, principles tonight would come out that way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're in class eight. Can you believe that? All right. So I want to look at 2 Corinthians 12 with you tonight. I want to review a little bit about small groups and also talk about um, training. Because I was really blessed by Craig's question. I've been thinking about it all week, actually. And um, because um, once you've identified God's person, which oftentimes will not be what you think he is or what you think they are or who they are, uh, training becomes of utmost importance. And I want us to look here in resource F. It's on... Uh, is that, that's kind of an interesting uh, way this looks here. Okay. Um, I want to look at resource F. So if you have your computers or your phones or you can just look at the screen, I want to talk about um, wh how is it, what is it, or the message of our training. Okay. But before I go there, uh, tell me something about small groups. Why do we need small groups in the church? Let's have a little interaction. Let's kind of review a few things. What did we talk about last week? Good. Okay. Build relationship, ask questions, right? Learn what's going on. By the way, people do not know what's going on in your church. Just assume that, okay? They really don't, okay? We think they do, but they don't. Uh, and why do I say that? Is because that's the number one thing with hospitality and inreach is there's a very small number of people that know what's going on in your church, okay? There really is, honestly. Just ask your people. Uh, uh, and by the way, the call of God is not event-driven, amen? It's not just event, 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 even though... Well, let me ask you, why do we have events in the church? Why do we have events? To draw people. Exactly. Okay. There's a good percentage of people, 41%, it's believed, that it's, uh, it's just invitation, an invite. You'll have 41% of your people um, that will come in just by invitation. Do you know what the other, uh, the other remaining is, the other 59%? You know what it is? Invite? No, nope, that's invite is 41%. What's, what's the other 50? Actually, it's you have 9% is, is, is uh, evangelism, believe it or not. It's actually very small, but we do believe in evangelism. But the other 50% is what? Advertising. Mouth to mouth. Mouth to mouth. Word of mouth, yes. So, so 50% is word of mouth, okay? And then the other 9% is evangelism, okay? Now, invitation, invitation is 
where you physically invite somebody, word of mouth is you're sharing your experience. Maybe we could say that as a, as a comparison. So word of mouth is very powerful. Okay, People see you going and enjoying yourself. They ask questions and you simply invite them. But more than that, it's your, it's your experience and how you're faithful to it. Like someone might say, are you going to church again? Yeah, I'm, I find peace. I find peace in the church. I find a message in the church. What, what else is about small groups that we could say? Small groups. Why do we have small groups? Yeah, It's a Daniel. more comfortable setting. Okay, four. For someone who's not usually used to being around much people. Okay, excellent, right? Less intimidating. Good. To be heard. Okay. Heard. Good. People want to be heard. Good. Their opinions, their beliefs. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Big word. Interaction. Big word, huge word, interaction, very good. Uh, we oftentimes have the lecture style where you have the person kind of speaking out to the people. There is a place for that. That's, that's a style that we hold in our large meetings. Uh, one, one thing we love about Pastor Schaller is he's very interactive, very spontaneous, loves to you know, hug your neighbor, talk to your neighbor, uh, Meet your neighbor. Why does he do that? Why do you think he does that? Interaction. Exactly. That's a big word. Because people in their natural will not talk to their neighbor, not care about their neighbor. <laughs> uh, so it's a very big word. We've learned that in our small group with Grow Deeper, that table talk, dialogue questions, asking questions. Because if you're doing the talking all the time, guess what? You're going to lose your listener within three to five minutes. The first 60 seconds, first 60 seconds, you either, you either catch somebody or you don't. That's why questions and interaction can keep them on their guard. So let's say you're saying, you know, in a, in a typical um, small group, we talk for three to five minutes maximum. And then we have a dialogue question that they work through at their table or amongst themselves. It keeps them engaged, and it also helps uh, make the uh, information personal. Okay? Very important. So interaction keeps people engaged. Okay? Very important. Okay? And it also makes the information personal. Okay? How many times have we had a small group and we've talked with people, and um, something comes out in their conversation, and you're like, ooh, I need, to, I need to talk about that. Um, maybe they're able to share their pain or they're, they're able to share their uh, discouragement. Maybe someone, I was talking with a brother tonight. Uh, he had a stressful day at work. It's like, okay, I want to be able to pray and pastor that person. Okay, very good. What else happens in small groups? You get to know people. Yeah. Okay, good. Learn their names. Good. What else are you learning? Okay. Eventually, you learn about their gifts. Absolutely. Yep. What's in their heart? Okay. What's in their heart? Good. They also find their place. Okay. Yes. Eventually. Absolutely. Yeah. What else are we learning? Yeah. Yeah. The danger of um, small groups. You know, sometimes it can take uh, the place of the big church. Yes. Know, it as an excuse. Okay. Missing out on you know, the big uh, 
benefits from the church. Okay. All right. So that's another subject, but very important one. Um, and this is something you'll need to know uh, for your test is the two dangers of small groups is number one, that it replaces the big church. That is absolutely not the reason for a small group. Okay. Uh, because we want people to gather together and to enjoy the corporate body. In the Western Christian form, a lot of small groups happen in the, in the midweek service. Uh, and uh, that's okay, but not to replace a major service where everyone comes together. That's, that's, been, our, that's been our view, and, and it, chooses, it chooses to be very important because we want the corporate body coming together, right? The second thing is bad leaders. Um, now, we went through this in Massachusetts. We had many small groups. And um, before we were in Baltimore, we moved to Baltimore in 87. But one thing uh, that we saw in Lenox was there was several small group leaders that uh, actually took the people out of the church and wanted to start their own churches. Okay? Yeah. So... Leadership is everything in your small group. You want to make sure they have your, um, your heart, that they're submitted, and that they're, the purpose of the small group is encouragement, connections, and it's not to steal them out of the church. Now, we may gasp in saying that, but it's, it happens. It happens. You get a good leader, and all of a sudden their charisma and their personality and, and all of a sudden it's like oh I don't need to go to church anymore I get my home group and all of a sudden you know the pastor's like hey where's so-and-so and it's like you know and then, then all of a sudden it becomes a personality rapport and the bad leadership uh, you know that's a that's a big thing so with us here at greater grace uh, with our community groups like we said remember we said the 202020 principle right? And this can be larger, right? 20, the first 20 is what? Food and fellowship. Tacos, yes. Tacos. Or whatever. Food and fellowship, right? Bible. Bible. Message. Message. Okay. And I really encourage, like, when you share, you're not there to, like, you know, three hours message because they're not going to come back, right? Mm-hmm. You want to keep them hungry, right? And the 20 minutes, the most important 20 minutes, if I could say, is what? Q&A. Q&A, okay? So we said last week that we're looking at where the traffic comes from uh, in your church, right? And we said that over 80% of our traffic comes from the north, the northeast part from Towson all the way down to um, Dundalk? Mm-hmm. What is that? Dundalk? Yeah. And um, again, we're reaching out to, to help people connect. Okay, so small groups are really, really vital uh, because more some people need more time than others, right? Some people are fine; they don't want the attention, uh, but then some really need the attention, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Any questions on that? Make sense, yeah, Erhan? For small group, uh, we are uh, like uh, when we have a small group, if it is like far from our church, home church, or if it's close to our home church. Uh, after our meetings, can like it's gonna be good to bring people to our main meeting, or mm-hmm. we are keeping people in our just small group for meeting, mm-hmm. like Sunday, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, worship time. 
what do you think about that? Like the, the, the small group is just only study the Bible, mm -hmm. or it is like, okay, we have a small group close to our church or far from our church. We have a Bible study, but uh, the Sundays, like main, uh, we are coming to our home church. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're going to find people that maybe don't travel, so you might be pastoring them in their neighborhood. Uh, you might have people that um, just have circumstances where um, they treat your home group like a church. Um, but I, I'd strongly recommend that you in your home group, you're talking about the events of the church, the messages of the church. Uh, you're talking about ways to reconnect to the big church. Um, I even don't even like saying big church, but... <laughs> but again, uh, it's amazing how many people really don't know what's going on. Uh, so, so again, if I see people in my small group and I don't see them in, in the church service, um, you know, I'm going to ask them. I'm going to say, hey, you know, what, what, what's your thought? You know, what's going on? And, and, and to help them to, you know, be part of what's going on in the big church. Because in the corporate body family, there, there is so much more... Um, so much more resources, so much more discipleship opportunities. Uh, like I know, Boyette, you do a Filipino Bible study. It's well attended, but it's great to see how the Filipinos are integrating into the church. It's amazing. That's the whole idea. You bring them in so that they can learn what's going on. Right? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I do have a question. Um, you know, typically, small groups like 15 people or 20. Mm -hmm. What would you um, suggest, let's say, got? or you're growing, your small group is growing, you know, you can only disciple like three, you know, people, but yeah. if, if you if you have that, you know, uh, 20. 20 or 30, so what would you suggest? Yep, 20. After 20, it's too big, personally. So there's different dynamics to that. You know, let's say you have a couple of under shepherds under you and you're able to manage 30 or 40 people, but you would need a good sized team where you want to hear from those that want to talk. It's not just like another church service, but you really want to have connections. So 20, 15 or 20 is like a good number. If you start getting over 25, it, it just, you, you, you start to miss people unless your under shepherds or your team is right there and spending quality time with people that might be different. But like in, like in Grow Deeper, we have 20, we have about 18 people right now. And um, the home churches, like in Asia, I mean, it's amazing uh, what they're doing. The house churches, um, you know, really, when you start getting too big, you start to miss, right? And then people can, you don't want people to come in and leave without having some sort of interaction, right? So again, leadership is huge, right? I want to. I want a humble. We want a humble person that's like-minded, that's trained, and I want to spend some time on that tonight. What does it mean to be trained? Because you don't want to just put somebody there that doesn't know what they're doing. They're, they hurt people. It's better not to do it actually. If you have the wrong person, you want the person that has the heart of the ministry, the heart of God. Number one, heart of the ministry, uh, and also um, that's mature. Right? A novice can make a lot of damage. Yeah, Ivo. Yeah, I just have a question, but. Um... It's about small groups. Providing small groups helps people to have interaction with each other. But uh, can it also be a danger for them to find interaction only here and not interact with the Christians outside of the church? Mm -hmm. And so they just rely on the church to interact with people and they never you know, change with them 
more than just for the opportunities that the church provides. Yeah, I mean, that's so, that happens. I mean, there's cliques, right? People get in their comfortable cliques. Um, but if the team is doing what they're supposed to, the idea of the small group, again, the small group is, is designed to help them connect to the big group, okay? So you want them, you don't want to keep them just depending on you. You want them to connect uh, to what's going on in the big picture. So if you see somebody and they're in a clique, then you want to, you want to help them Maybe you're literally walking them into an outreach. You're walking them into a rap. You're walking them into a Bible class. So it's not just reliant. Yeah. So does the small groups have an expiration date in a sense that, <laughs> you know, like people should be getting in small groups for only such an amount of time? Good question. Um, and let's turn to First Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians for a minute. So what we do with Grow Deeper, okay, let me answer this question. So yes, there should be, an, there should be a segment of time. Like we did what was called footsteps, and it was 21 weeks, okay? Three sets of seven, okay? We, which means, um, and it's good to have a start date and an end date. That way people know what's really going on and what is going to be covered. Your theme is important. Your time frame is important. But one thing we did with Grow Deeper, and Grow Deeper is kind of the next step for footsteps. But um, So we would teach, and then we'd have activities. Okay, For instance, we'd have like, a, uh, we're going through the statement of faith. Okay, So we go through the statement of faith on a few classes. And every fourth class, we do an activity together. We go on a prayer walk. We do evangelism together. We go out to lunch together. We do something together. Okay. So that's very important because oftentimes people are intimidated. Uh, everyone knows each other. I'm kind of on the outside. I don't fit in. All this is projections because none of us fit in, right, mm -hmm. on the natural. But in the spiritual, on the spiritual, we're all a family, right? So, yeah, so typically 20, I mean, these are ratios that you can tweak, 21 weeks, okay? And what we did with footsteps is we had... Uh, we took attendance, we had food together, and um, we had a graduation at the end of that. We actually gave them a certificate of completion, and we gave them a Bible school class. This is the reward for going through our Footsteps program. Okay? What would happen at the end of that 21 weeks is <laughs> we would go right back and start with class one again. So some people would redo the classes, or some would move on to Bible school, or some would just stop. Okay, so we learned that uh, you have to really be careful when you're done with your 21 weeks because some people just do it so they finish something, but you want them to take the next step. That's the most critical part of the footsteps. So it can't just be casual. You have to really, like our table leaders, okay, our table leaders, as we've explained, is like one person for every four or three to four people, and they are they are getting to know the people at their table. They're, they're, they're really interacting. They're calling them during the week. Maybe they're sitting with them in a service, but they're, they're helping them identify gifts so that they take the next step and be not spectators, but participators, right? So there is an advantage of having a start date and an end date, but with Grow Deeper, we just keep going. We just keep it going. And that's good and bad uh, because we might change the theme. 
okay, which after um, we're at the end days right now, we got two more classes, and then we're gonna we're gonna actually go through the statement of faith again because it was so good, you know. So again, themes are are very valuable, and uh, some people want that. They want the book group. They want the um, they want to study that. Maybe your, maybe your small group goes through Romans, right? And and in the mainstream Christianity, you have the pulpit that is that is talking about the themes in the small groups. So there's there's actually a correlation. Um, that's also super helpful. So there's reiteration, right? So yeah, you can you can toy around with that. All right, let's look at Second Corinthians for a minute, twelve fifteen. I want to talk about training. Um, Training, and I just want to encourage you, right? Um, uh, Job thirty-two, I believe it's twenty-three. The person you're looking for may be one in a thousand. The person you're looking for is maybe one in a thousand. You don't need a lot of people, but you do need unity. So our Bible school here is our discipleship training course. This is how we disciple leaders right here, you. So when we're looking at training, there's three major things uh, that we want to say when you find the faithful, right? We said Philippians chapter uh, 4, verse 9, you're looking for the faithful, you're looking for the ones that are, you don't have to drag. <laughs> They're actually motivated, right? Uh, you're not looking for the perfect. You're not looking for the professional necessarily. But you're looking for those that are really motivated by the Spirit to be uh, involved. So uh, through encouragement and through, number one, a clear objective. Okay, this is big. So training must have a clear objective. Okay, and I want to show you this in resource F here. A, uh, a, a clear objective means that people will not, they will not uh, draw near to your plan and to your team unless they know what's expected of them and what the big picture is. This challenges us as leaders to not wing it, right? So in our hospitality department, for instance, uh, it's more than just a friendly face, we say. It's a ministry. We pray with people. We counsel people. We uh, love on people. We listen to people. It's more than just saying, hey, here's a donut and have a good service, you know. Uh, so when you look at resource F, you can see several different objectives. So... In an inreach mission statement, first of all, it says, do that which gathers and fills the chapel so people hear the message. Okay, that's our objective. We want people to uh, not just have all their needs met, but we want them to come and be part of the church family. Because the most important thing we do here is preaching and teaching. It's really the most important thing. We're spiritual educators at the top of the shelf here. Uh, secondly... Uh, to personally encourage and disciple those people who fill the chapel, right? This is all here. So your objective, like why do you do what you do? You want to ask yourself that question because training has to be very, um, very clear, 
right? Otherwise, people, they may come once or twice out of, out of uh, interest, but unless they have, remember we said those handles, that roadmap, uh, they're going to they're gonna do what they're going to do. They're going to do what's comfortable, and they're going to uh, personally interpret what you're doing. And all three of those uh, will not go well, right? You ever, ever had somebody personally interpret what you say? Like, for instance, you're at the hospitality with for instance, you might say to them, okay, I want you to, I want you to hold the door open and say hello to people as they walk in the door, okay? Let's say you're clear, you say that. And then you, there you are, and the person's sitting behind the welcome desk, and they, they've got their head down in their phone, right? What's wrong with that? What's, what's wrong with that picture? Yeah, so what do you do? <laughs> Take out that velvet hammer and change the place. Yeah. So training has a lot of patience, doesn't it? So failure is an, is part of the training process. Okay. Now, I was recently talking with a brother and um, we were talking about an upcoming event and he kept deferring himself and saying, maybe this person would be better, maybe this person would be better. He's very insecure. And I said, do you want to do this event? I just simply asked him, do you want to do this event? And they go, yeah. Then I said, stop delegating this away from you. Stop. It's like, don't do that. <laughs> We're going to help you. Ask for help. And this is a beautiful thing in training. If we don't understand what's expected, then we ask a question. right? Say, hey, listen, I don't have what I need to do this event. No problem. We're, we're a team, right? There's no I in team, right? There's an I in win, right? I heard that this week. I like that. I in win, yeah. No, sorry. The great I am is in win, okay. Uh, so a lot of times people are going to say no because they don't have enough information to say yes. So you want to make sure they know the purpose of what they're doing. That's why the volunteer, that's why I love having Pastor Olu in our office these months. You know what? He's more impactful than he really, really understands or knows, and it's a blessing. But what's expected of him? Well, we want him to sweat blood and tears. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, it's great. I love listening to him on the phone. He's praying with people, and he's casting the net out. And maybe we find one person out of 300 calls. That's worth it to me, right? So another part we could say, we build teams to care and connect the body, right? We're constantly building and finding uh, who's in our church and how they stay connected. How about the single moms, single dads? How about the youth? How about the seniors, right? It's amazing. So let's look at the ushers for a minute. We work with the ushers. The ushers are, we value the whole person, we digni we, with, with dignity, we handle each person with honor and respect. That's one of the objectives for an usher, right? Our ushers are not policemen. Yes, they keep order, but I'm strict with this. I want it done in a spirit of grace or do not do it, right? I don't care what the reason is. We're gracious. And if, if the spirit is not in it, then you're in the, I'm in the wrong place, right? Because anybody can, can do anything and do it with a grumbling spirit, and it's just bad all day long, right? It hurts the person, hurts you, there's no joy in it, right? 
An usher, for instance, will minimize all obstacles and distractions so that the guests can receive all that the Lord has prepared for them, right? Minimize obstacles. Isn't that good? People say, why do you have security in your church? Well, we're not in the best area, but it's also to preserve order, right? For to preserve order. And if you know our security, they're amazing and they're just they're they're awesome. They're really there as a deterrent. And if you knew the activity going on in this area, you'd be happy to know that too. All right. Help bring awareness to the presence of God. These are things in training. Why and what what are we doing? Why are we doing it? When are we doing it? Who are we doing it unto? Right? The who, what, when, where, and how we're doing it. A lot of people are going to watch your example. So if you want badges on everybody at your hospitality crew and you're not going to wear a badge, guess what? They're not going to wear a badge. Do you understand? You lead by example. Okay? It's the same, same principle. You want to train them. Right? And it's not like the military where you're going to have them drop and give you 25 push-ups or, 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 or penalize them. But you want to ask them the questions like, did you have a question? Did you understand that your face in the phone is not ministering to the new person walking in the door? Oh, I'm having a bad day and, and I just, I'm, no problem. You give them that, that, that uh, I don't know, that chance Maybe that happens again twice, and then you're like, okay, maybe, is this in your heart? Like, be honest with me, is this in your heart? Like, the training is very much hands-on uh, directly for the first, you know, few weeks, of course. The Welcome Center. The Welcome Center, for instance, the mission is to display the church events and ministries for the purpose of involving people that want to be involved. Somebody comes up to the Welcome Center, like we had this recently, we had a guy complain because he, he sat at the, he stood in line at the Welcome Center because the people behind the Welcome Center was having a conversation. And uh, believe it or not, I was that person. <laughs> so I received that critical, or that instruction, I should say. And uh, I had a conversation with somebody and we were engaged and, and the other person next to me has a conversation. And there was a new person. They said they waited there 15 minutes. I thought to myself, uh, that's incredible, first of all. But I didn't. I'm not like defending myself. But I said, "Oh, I'm so sorry," you know, because the purpose is not to be with people that we know, but to be with people that need to have our connections. Right? Really important. Because the greatest complaint in the church is the clicks, click, 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 click. Right? And uh, that's in every church. It's in every church. So. Have the, okay, number, look at this, number two, the focal point where people can learn how to connect to what is happening in the church. You see that? This is great. So we're communicating why we're doing what we're doing, okay? How? How do we do it? We do it in love, grace, spirit of grace. And this is what 2 Corinthians 12, 15, who wants to read that verse? Great verse here. Just shout it out, whoever's ha whoever has it. Says, and I will very eagerly spin and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, and less I am loved. Okay, welcome to ministry right there. If you're looking for accolades and Elka Seltzer, no. <laughs> if you're looking for that, you're not going to. I mean, Jesus did the ministry uh, to his father, right? He was not looking to be ministered unto, right? Uh, notice one of the Welcome Center um, mission statement is to be a, liter a literal hub 
for ushers, hospital, hospitality, and counselors. You know, it's a place where people can come and congregate and get information. It's also, remember, your training is progressive, right? We're progressively training the faithful. Okay, look at this. Mother's room. Why do we have a mother's room? So parents with children, one and under, to have a place where their child can be a child in a safe environment and the parent can be involved in the body of Christ, right? Really important. Mother's room. Any church plant needs to consider a children's program because nine times out of ten, families will stay if they have something for their kids, okay? Okay. Uh, also, another mission statement for our mother's room is to offer resources and tools that will help the whole family, okay, and help with family life. Okay, so define your objective clearly, okay, because if it's not clear to you, it's not going to be clear to the person that you're, uh, that you're doing, uh, that you're training, right? You're, uh, you're multiplying, right? Multiplying. Is that ING? Yes. You're multiplying yourself, right? Because guess what? You can't do everything. Did you notice that? How many know that? Okay. Isn't that good? All right. Let's look at Exodus 18 for a minute. I'm being funny here a little bit. Exodus 18. Notice, notice this amazing principle. Believe me. Let's say someone says, I don't have time to train. Ooh. Then something's wrong. Why would someone say that, by the way? Well, I, don't have to, I have too many things to do. I don't have time to train people. I'm just going to throw them into the deep end and watch them tread water. Why, why, why is that such a bad equation? Or why is that so bad? They probably wasn't trained. Okay. Very, very good. So you don't value people. Okay. They don't know what's going on. They just do something. Yep. Good. All those answers are good. Excellent. It's a recipe for disaster, right? So again, if they don't know what is expected of them, they will do their own thing. Right? All right. Look at Exodus chapter 18. Notice this. Um, so Jethro is ministering to Moses. And no, hear, hear what he says here. Let's look at this voice, uh, this verse. Uh, okay, verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. And let's go down further here. Okay, verse 13. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning to until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning to evening? And Moses to his father-in-law said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me and inquire of God. That's a, good, that's a good answer, right? Are we a savior? Are we the only person that can do the will of God? No. Ooh. We have to take that. We have to take out that hero complex, right? We must... Train people so that, God forbid, something happens to us, things don't stop, right? It's interesting. Like, this happens a lot with missionaries. Uh, the first thing when you hit on the ground, 
You're training your replacement. You are. I know in the Ukraine it took us uh, seven years to plan our church, and we stayed there. Uh, we were there, well, I was there seven years, but that work before it was handed over to nationals took 10 years. Took 10 years. So you're always looking for that person, and God will show you who that is. And that might take longer than seven years, but I've not seen it take less than seven years personally. But God is God and sovereign, and so therefore he can do it any time. But it's not a rush job for sure. All right, so notice this. When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Great statement. It's all true, right? And Moses, his father-in-law, said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Why, why isn't it good? Why did he say that? Yes, Craig. Yes. 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 So, so he's giving him counsel to, uh, to, in so many words, read the chapter. It's very interesting. But to have faithful men and to put them in place so that they can share the load, right? Share the load. It's really important. All right, number two. I want you to, in training to work backwards. This is an interesting point. I want you to work backwards. Yes, Pastor Olu. Well, I like to uh, ask about the issue that happened between Moses and the father in law. Okay. Moses was doing what God wanted. Mm -hmm. And God did not speak to him to do this. Mm -hmm. And the father-in-law came uh -huh. and gave him that. Yes. I, I'm wondering within me, why did God not tell him to And who's to say God didn't tell him? <laughs> from what we, from what we, so what I'm thinking of is this. Uh -huh. Sometimes, <clears throat> maybe God expects us mm -hmm. to take certain initiative mm -hmm. so that we will not wear ourselves down mm -hmm. and die before our time. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I'm just reasoning. I'm just thinking and. I want you to, you know, shed more lights. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'd have to go into detail with it, but just the short of it is how many leaders God is prompting. I'm not saying Moses necessarily, but the idea of this chapter is that they're doing it. They love it so much. They're, they're not thinking of duplicating themselves and they don't see there's a, it's a blind spot. Let's say it's the one man show. And so Jethro, God, I mean, God uses a donkey to communicate to Balaam. It's the same principle. You have fresh eyes, fresh ears, fresh perspective. And it's like somebody comes to you and says, you know, you're amazing, but it's too much on you. It's too much on you. So the critic in this particular case is not a critic. It's, it's actually good counsel. And Moses responds beautifully. I mean, I love that. I think we should be very teachable. Because if it's just one person, it's unwise. It's the same principle with Acts 20.20. 20. They went out two by two. 
right? House to house, two by two. You never, you never go alone for many reasons. You could have an accusation. Uh, somebody could say something you did or said or you never did or said, and you don't have uh, you don't have a covering. Or number two, it's discouraging. You get out there and you, you're out there and you're alone. You're figuring, oh my gosh, you know, I have a thousand reasons why to do a thousand other things. So just to say, in short, why? I mean, we don't know why Moses didn't come to this conclusion, but day and night, and this guy was burning it at both ends, and so the Lord used Jethro to say. Train leaders, train leaders, train leaders, right? So that's just a, that's just my thought. Um, we see that in Second Timothy chapter three. You're looking for faithful stewards. You're looking for uh, healthy men with healthy marriages and women with healthy marriages. You're looking for someone that's been in the Word. They're discipled, right? If you're discipled, you'll disciple others. Who's to say that we're going to put somebody in? in a place and they're not discipled or they're not in a place of discipleship, right? Because um, you will beget the kind that you are, for sure. All right, let me, are you okay for a few more minutes? If I want to go into something else. Is that good, Pastor Rula? That's a good, good point there. So work backwards. I would say this is one of the most important points right here. So all you homiletic guys here, right? A good message, right? What do you do with a good message? What is the point that you're trying to give in a good message? What do you want people to take home in the message? Christ, Christ okay. Let's be more specific, yeah. Um, there are different types of preaching, correct? So there are, you know, Pastor Chappelle is a great example of repeating a sentence many different ways to drive it home, okay? So that's the example I have. You want to take whatever it is that you want the person you're training to know and to grasp, and you work from there, okay? You work backwards in this sense where, let's say uh, someone is, um, let's say, okay, let's use an example, food bank. Okay, food bank. You're raising a team for the food bank. Okay, and maybe your objective is this. We want to uh, have places and people donate food to meet the natural need so that they have a capacity to hear what they spiritually need, for instance. Okay, yes, there's logistics. Yes, there's donations. Yes, there's organization. Yes, there is how to keep spoiled, giving away spoiled food. All that logistics are, are very important. But what is the reason you're doing what you're doing? What is your reason? So, what? That, you, so that the spiritual needs be met. Correct. So how would you say that in a practical way, Craig? Homeless ministry. What's someone's spiritual need that you could address for a homeless person? Let's say they're addicted. Let's say they're homeless. Let's say they come from an abusive family. I mean, if, for instance, like, and you're training somebody to minister to one of the most challenging areas in a church, really, but one of the very important part of the church. How would you train somebody? You will show Christ how to evangelize the people who really need. I mean, the Lord evangelizes the people who really need. 
Okay, excellent. And what did he do, Erhan? He love to them. Love them. Patient with them. Patient with them. to them. Okay. You know, like all those stuff, you can teach them. Okay. Over and over again. Over and over, exactly. Repetition, right. Okay. So, you work backwards, just like in a message. Let's say you want people to know, how about this statement? You don't have to be perfect, but God wants you to receive perfect love. Tell me that statement a different way. Tell me that statement a different way. And how would you bring that statement home? Let's say you're getting ready to preach. Without getting up there and saying it 15 times the same way, you don't have to be perfect, but God's called you to receive perfect love. That's the end game. So where do I start? Okay. Good. Okay. Okay. Keep going. I will start with like you know, letting people know that we all fall short of God's glory. Okay. Um, we all have some type of you know shortcomings and things like that. Start from there and work your way. But just because we have those areas in our life where we fall short, we don't have to stay there. We, you know, we have a God that is able to bring us from where we are to where we need to be. Okay. Okay, now let's, let's think about training. That's right. That's right. Remember, we're counselors, but in training, it has to be very clear. It has to be almost pragmatic. It's got to be very bare bones. Homeless ministry. Let's let's keep on the homeless ministry point. Yeah. You're always going to fall short and you'll never measure up, but God's grace is sufficient. Okay. Good. You're saying the same thing. Yes. So you said Nikki. the question was how do you work backwards? Yes. Statement. See what she just did? You see what she just did? What did she just do? Yes. Very good. Because my question was a little bit obscure, actually. So that shows me that she's paying it. I mean, all of you. I don't want to make you say you're not, but you can. that's good. <laughs> if you don't understand it or if it's not clear, you speak it back, right? So go ahead, Nikki. Yeah, well, I was just, so working backwards with the prop, I'm thinking maybe, um, Sticking to how much God loves them. Okay. How perfect God love is. Okay, good. How perfect God love is. Not where they are. Okay, very good. Okay. So let's take that, let's take that for a minute. So a runner, what's a runner thinking in a marathon? What are they thinking about? The end game, yeah. Are they envisioning crossing that line? <laughs> or maybe they're just envisioning finishing, maybe. Some of them. <laughs> but that's the point. Like, when you're training people, you're wanting them to envision the end game, right? You're, okay? You want them to know why we're doing, why is it that we lead worship? Why does, why does Gary do such a great job in worship, right? Is he up there performing? I, no. He isn't. He's up there to glorify God. Okay, so 
And what we did in our in our band is we um, it, we just encouraged people to pray as much as they practiced. It's a great way to deal with problems in your music ministry. Uh, we had problems in our music ministry overseas for a season, and everyone wanted to be the the superstar. And I said, you know what? Just the fact that you guys are arguing about it tells me you've lost sight of why we're doing it. So I'm going to encourage you to stop, uh, stop trying to get your own way and to pray as much as you practiced. How much do you practice? Well, I practice two hours. Enjoy the prayer time. <laughs> and it did not go so, I mean, they were not excited about that. But you know what? For, the, for six months, I said, you will not sing. I'm not interested in you singing if you're not in the right spirit, because that the body can tell. So it transformed our music ministry. It really did. I can't even tell you the level that it was so anointed. It was so beautiful. So work backwards from the end. So the methodology, the technique is important. But if we forget why we do what we do, if we forget why we're, you know, if I'm getting upset at somebody taking too much food at the homeless ministry, like, I can't believe you took an extra loaf of bread. I mean, it's like, wait, wait a minute. Have five loaves of bread. I don't care. You know, it's like, or um, it's like my our spirit. Does that make sense? Like we're spending ourselves, but we, we're, we're also thinking that, okay, um, you know, why are we doing it? If it's not for the Lord, then it's first Corinthians. Look at first Corinthians 13. Let's look at that for a minute. Very familiar passage. We'll have a break in two minutes. Are you all right for two more minutes? I know, huh? Andrew, you're awesome. Look at first, Andrew. Andrew's going to read uh, the first three <laughs> verses of First Corinthians 13. <laughs> yeah. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, Though I give my body to be burned, have not love, the prophets be nothing. Okay. Awesome. Let's let's break there, okay? You can see the point here. More importantly than what we're doing, right? It's really a ministry to Christ, right? Amen. All right, let's take a break for ten minutes. Amen. Amen. Let's do it. All right, part two. Let me just reiterate something Nikki just said um, and just something uh, Elon just said, too. Just during the pandemic, um, it's been a real challenge but a real opportunity at the same time. Something we did here at Greater Grace is we put we were given a 1,000 masks, um, and we made, I think, close to 500 care packets. And we put a mask in there. We put some hand sanitizer. We put a, a devotional book. And just a, just a word that says, "Hey, listen, we're praying for you." We even got on social media in our in our in our areas and just said, "How can we pray for you?" So there was a lot, when people were really shut down. There was a lot of um, our media, our AV, our media program grew fifty percent. Actually, that's a conservative number because everyone was connecting online. But again, like as the church, if we don't get this right, we get nothing goes right. 
and that's the care of people. And um, this is why training is so important that you, uh, it's not your uh, ability to do something that's really important, even though Yvonne brings up a good point. How can someone uh, do, a, do a homeless ministry and they, they, they've never been trained on how to do it, right? So the pastor or the leader is constantly looking to grow. He's looking or she's looking to minister because the, the, your people will only grow to the measure that you've grown. They will not, they will not go above you. That's just the facts, right? So at, this is as a leader, we said about evangelism, like why do we evangelize? Evangelism is for us. It's for us. It's to keep us sharp. It's to keep us relevant. It's to keep us broken for the, for the needs of our community, right? I remember my brother in Philly, Houston, I'm thinking of several churches that evangelize every week, and it's awesome. It's important, and I don't want to minimize it in any way. But most people came, I mean, we're seeing this in Frederick. Uh, we're seeing this in, in, in Atlanta, it's incredible. In the Lancet, there's interesting things happening. People are contacting us where we've not sown. I mean, we're, people are contacting us that know other people that heard about us, and they're wanting to meet up with us. We, we have a great trip prepared in December, and I think we're going to have like double, almost double the people we met last time. It's crazy. And we see this in Frederick, too. The same thing with Frederick. It's like people, once they, they taste it or see it, it's like, wow, you guys are different, right? It's Bible-centered, it's Christ-centered, it's grace-oriented, and you know what? People are going to flock to it, right? So yes, you may get a, a strong percentage through evangelism, but it's mostly for you and I to stay sharp, okay? And again, God is sovereign, and he can... Um, <laughs> here's an interesting story. Okay, here's an interesting story, Frederick, okay? I can't even make this stuff up, okay? This is, this is an incredible example. So let me see if I can get this right. Back in 2001... Uh, there was a older man that the Fed Hill Church, even before the Fed Hill Church was our was the Fed Hill Church, there was evangelism going on down in the Canton area or down in the Fed Hill area. They met this man, and I can't even remember how they met this man. Uh, he was a caretaker of some business, and they began to invest in him week by week. Okay, he gets saved. Okay, they give him a Bible. He begins to read the Bible, writes in uh, the names of the people that gave him that Bible, okay? This man has a family that's way out there. I mean, they're, they were off into drugs and many other things, okay? His daughter in particular. So <laughs> this man dies eventually. The years go past, the man dies. He gives his Bible to his family, okay, to this daughter, okay? Her name is Jennifer. So I, I can't, I'm trying to get the pieces correctly, and I hope it's clear, but what happens is this man's in Baltimore City. This woman is in Frederick, Maryland, okay? And she's now married, and she's got a couple kids. She never knew that her father was a believer until she went through his things and found this Bible. This is like 15 years later, and she sees the name. And she sees a track in the Bible that says the grace hour. Okay, you got the picture? We're evangelizing on the streets of Frederick. We meet this girl, this lady. She's not a girl, she's a lady. And she goes, what's the name of your church? 
And we said, oh, we're greater grace of Frederick. She goes, she just kind of looked at me. Her husband, her, okay, anyway, she begins to talk to us. And a couple weeks later, she comes back and shows me this Bible. She goes, do you know this, these people? Because greater grace, that name rings a bell. I said, I look at the inside flap. I know every single person in that flap. I said, yes, I can give you the telephone numbers to every single one of those people. And she starts to cry. She starts to cry. She goes, she goes, that those people led my dad to Christ, who then began to minister Christ to us. And we got saved. And then what happens? This Bible, we didn't know where this Bible came from. We didn't know the people. <laughs> so what happens? Now we're connected with this whole family in Frederick that is now quite a quite a place, right? Boy, you know what I'm talking about. The glasses, Brian and Jennifer Glass. And, and they, have, uh, they have a ministry there. But it's been an amazing reunion that through evangelism and investment, someone gets saved and the whole family gets saved. And they don't even know where it came from. And then 20, 15, 20 years later, they're like, you're the people. Wow. <laughs> Guilty as charged. No, and, it, it, and that, so evangelism is awesome that way because the, the miracle happens every time. It just breaks me because it's like, uh, it's uh, it's a work of God. God wants people saved, right? So training on how to handle people like fine china. I find that the roughest people are usually the most sensitive, mm -hmm. most fragile people. Yes. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so good, so good. I love that story because story. It's, it's, it's true. It's true. So... Uh, the Odaharas, it was the, it was um, the Tremels, it was, uh, I mean, they're not even part of the church in Fed Hill anymore. They were the, ta they were the team that broke ground there. And now we have a thriving church of a hundred and so people down there. It's amazing. Pastor Justin is an awesome pastor. All right. So when we're talking about training, we're answering the who, what, when, where, and how, right? Mm -hmm. Who are we reaching? Now listen, if we shoot at nothing, we're sure to hit it, right? Mm -hmm. so we've got to shoot at something, right? Mm -hmm. You like that? Mm -hmm. But what? How are we going to do it? By faith, but a train needs a track to run on. So a plan is not a bad thing. I get a little, I get a little, uh, what's a good word, squirmy when someone says, oh, you know, programs, programs, programs. Spirit-filled programs are good. Okay, we're not winging it's bad, okay? But we're flexible. We're not locked into a program, but we are flexible and led by the Spirit. By the way, that's the way we're spontaneous, by the way, right? We're prepared, right? When? Promptness. Can I tell you, this is a big one. Promptness. This is a big one. This is where, like, I feel like every day that this is important. When people call you, when people reach out to your church, when people come in contact with you, take it seriously. Just follow up quickly. Because just as, just as you are reaching out, the devil is reaching out. So promptness, very, very important. Okay, We've said this before when people come to our church. Um, we're usually in their world within 24 hours through a call, an email, or even a visit. You might say that's a little overbearing. Not if you do it right. Not if you do. You can be sensitively aggressive. 
That's a good word. Sensitively aggressive. Hungry. Like, I want you in my church if God calls you here. If God hasn't called you, then God bless you. But I'm not going to ignore you, right? Training your people, a lot of it is discerning the opportunity, right? So we said before that it's defining what we're doing, working backwards. That's a big one, right? And then thirdly, we're targeting and reassessing the mission. That's number three, okay? So that's where location comes in and the technique comes in. Now, I don't want to sound like we're some um, marketing program here. That's not how I want this to come across. But I do want to say that we are, um, we're not sitting on our hands, amen? Okay. And I got to say, God will give the increase, right? You look through the whole book of Acts, this little statement, God added to the church, God added to the church, God added to the church. That's what we want. Because I can be persuasive and convince people, but they're not going to stay. If they don't connect to Christ's life, then guess what? They won't stay. And the training, that's exactly what we're trying to do. We want them to connect to Christ's life. So we have what's called a point of reference, okay, a point, the source, just like a movie theater. Like it, the light and the, the projector, I mean the light and the movies projected, and you have what's called the frame of reference, okay? What this means is your objective, what you believe, and what you do will be understood by the recipient, the person that's in your church. So your training is so key. Training to listen. Okay, listening to learn, not listening to respond. Do you know the difference? Mm -hmm. Listening to learn, not listening to respond. What's the difference between learning to listen and learning to respond? What's the major difference? A genuine concern for that individual. Okay. Good. What else? That's excellent. Yeah. When you listen to learn, you can reiterate what they said back to them. Excellent. Very good. Yeah. What you do with the information. Even better. Good. What about listening to respond? What, what are we going to do if we're listening just to respond? What? You talk too much, exactly. Craig? Oh, we may say something that could be highly offensive. Good. Because we didn't process it, we didn't think through it, and we didn't give God's mind for the answer. Excellent. Good. Good, good, good. How about this, too? Like, we'll cut them off with our own thought, right? Have, have you ever, ever, ever had someone say, oh, i got to get this out before I forget it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anybody ever heard that? Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just being blunt tonight. Mm-hmm. Not good. It's like I'd rather forget what I'm going to say so I can really hear what's being said. Right? Write it down. Have a little notebook if you have to. You know what I'm saying? Then you, if you have people that are over-talking, then like I was on the phone today with a gentleman for about an hour and 15 minutes, and I was like, this is a long call. This is a long call. And the Holy Spirit said, stay on this call. And I was like, Lord, this is a long call. <laughs> but I love the guy. I love the man on the other end of that call. And I tell you, at the end of that call, he, says, he just said to me, I really need this call. 
And then went, then I hung up and took a nap. No. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. It was a long call. I don't usually do long calls like that, but but I could just tell that the content that we were talking about was like it was like mission critical. Like how this call ended d depended if he was going to stay with us or not. So there is that kind of, those little kind of calls, you know? All right, so let's look at this quickly. Delegation, okay, delegation. I want you to, any questions so far? Delegation. We're gonna talk about delegation. Yeah, Yvonne. Just about long calls and uh, people that sometimes they, uh, they talk too much. How yeah. do you do? Because you have to, to cut short sometimes, Yeah. Right? And sometimes they're oversharing and even what they're saying is not good for them to say that. So how do you do? With a gracious mind. Gary, how do you do it? <laughs> Boyette. What? What do you do to get people when they're oversharing, maybe or you know, saying stuff they should even should not even say, or maybe they're talking too long, but with a great gracious mind mindset? That's a good question. Anybody? I would say, I would say um, for me in that, in that instance, I definitely will um, trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. Trust the leading of the Holy Spirit because what, what I may think is too much conversation, too much talking, too much oversharing, God may be prompting that person to share all they may need to get it out because they need to listen again. So, I, I would trust the Holy Spirit and um, try to be patient with him and you know, just see what God is, God is taking. Yeah, so uh, let me rephrase my question. What if the person talks to you two hours every time you come to church? Every time they're oversharing and everything. You need to be gracious, but you still need to cut short because you have other stuff to do and there are other people depending on yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I get understand what you're talking about. Because yeah, it happens, it happens, it happens what you're saying. Okay. I think it depends on who the person is. Okay. Because that person, I don't think you said at church. You just said a person. Well, at church. Yeah, yeah. at church, yeah. 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 It, it depends on who the person is, I think. Because you, because yeah. you have some people that you already know what type of spirit they have. And you know that they, they are needy. They need a lot of time and, and, and the conversation may be empty or empty conversation. You know, and, and, um, no substance to it. And the person that and the, and the person may not even be wanting to think with God, don't really want to get right with God and but they just want to listen in ear and they just want to just dump on you like you do a garbage can. So you have to use wisdom in that as well. Yeah. Um I yeah. Think, you know God will lead us. Yeah so I get what you're saying, like, okay, the first time, and then the second time, okay, I'm a little bit more educated. Third time, it's like, so I just I just help people. I say, hey, what you're saying is important to me. I want to affirm them, and let me make sure I understand what you're saying to me. And then I interrupt them, actually. I say, hey, I just, you know, say, hey, you know, or, and if it's a repeat offender, I just tell them straight up, I got five minutes. I got five minutes. <laughs> And then I'm walking away. <laughs> but I mean, the first couple of times, it's like, okay, whoa, 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 you know? But it's like, and then I repeat back. I think what Nikki said earlier is really important. You want to repeat, you want to stop them. Because sometimes people are going to have 
like this, and they don't even know what they're saying. They're kind of, it's like, okay, okay. What you're saying is important to me. That's big. You want to make sure they know you're listening to them, that you care. And then secondly, is what you're saying really what you want to be saying? And then when you repeat it back to them, oftentimes they're like, I didn't remember, I didn't remember meaning it like that. Like I was meeting with a guy today that was suicidal, and he was talking to me all about how much he didn't have hope. And I said, so I started to talk with him just slowly, and I just said, hey, so, and I just kind of reiterated the anatomy of hope. I said, do you see these things in your life? And he goes, yes. And I said, do you think maybe you're discouraged because you broke up with your girlfriend? We eventually got to that point. And, the, and that was one of the contributors in his life. So, he, you know, people that go to this outlandish reaction, really, you maybe find it's a small uh, wrong thinking aspect. So, again, a lot of words, but what are you really saying? And, and then maybe interrupting them and ask them a question. That's another thing. You derail them. So there's a lot. I mean, that's the fun one. All right, let me, let me go through a couple things here. Delegation. I would say delegation is the highest form of leadership. Delegation, okay? Delegation. So to delegate means that you're giving responsibility and authority to the right people, okay? You want them to represent not only your heart but God's heart, okay? So you're not going to delegate to everybody, right? And we're not laying hands on people quickly, right? We won't, I'd rather do less and really be led by the Spirit than just to throw people at things, okay, like we've been saying. So, number one, context. Again, it's important that your team knows what you're doing and how you're thinking and what the true mission is, okay? Can't, I can't overstate that, okay? That's why you clarify the mission. You work backwards by reiterating it. And, I mean, uh, Erhan was saying at the break that you're demonstrating what you're saying you're, you're a, a sacrificial leader, um, not only a, a leader, but you're sacrificial, all right? So you remember you're delegating authority and responsibility, okay? So some people want authority. I'm, I'm nervous of those kind of people, right? I just want power to, I want people to listen to me. I want, I want to be in charge. Well, you're going to be the last person that I'm going to talk to, you know what I'm saying? It, do you know what I'm saying? Do you, some people that want it so bad, should not really have it. It's the people that are uh, that are that have the fear of God that will handle that properly. Okay. Otherwise, you know, people that have this complex, I want people to listen to me. They will be more tyrannical than than a minister. Okay. Number three, when you give something away, do not take it back. Now, I watched a church in the Ukraine dissolve because of this, okay? There was a, a pastor, beautiful man, and his dear wife. They gave the church over to a Ukrainian, and they went back to the States. Um, so what happened is a couple years went by, and the, this missionary couple came back, and they wanted the church back. And um, it caused a friction in the church and wound up dividing the church, and, and really it broke into frac factions, um, this is kind of a big deal here. Once you give something to somebody, you're coaching them. You're coaching, just like a parent. After 18, your kid is not to be parented. They're to be coached, right? So as parents, that's a tough thing. But 
they're adults and they don't want to be treated like children, right? Same thing with leadership. You are coaching them. You are giving them resources. You are uh, alongside encouraging them. But if you take it back, uh, what happens is um, you shame them in so many words, in so many words. So, so let's say this. Let's say the person is doing a terrible job, okay? Let's say you delegate something and you real and, and this is this should happen rarely. Let's say you delegate something to somebody, and that should happen after they're proven, correct? Right? There's a faithful trial, there's fruit in their life. But but let's say you give them the responsibility and, and things things start to fall apart. Okay? Let's say people are offended, let's say things don't grow, let's say uh, there's just not good, uh, not a good spirit. So what do you do? You don't step in there to save the day. What do you do? You come alongside, ask the questions, invest in the leader, and you find out what it is that's going on in their heart, and you help bolster and support what they're doing. Like we were saying recently in the last class, right? Do you want to do this ministry? If they say no, and that's a good indicator that... Uh, you need some investment there. Now, here's an interesting thing. We had a, a, a many illustrations in the Ukraine. I could say we 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 put in a we put in a pastor uh, when we were leaving the Ukraine, and he was there for two years. And then he said this. He goes, "I really believe I'm not a head pastor. I believe I'm an assistant pastor, and I think this person should be the head pastor." This is the man we left with in charge. He was very humble. He came to us and said, "I think." This man, this elder, would do a better job. And we were so amazed at the humility of this man that for the next two years, we groomed that other man, and they worked together. They were very close. And in two years, we shifted it. We put him as the assistant, and this other man as the, as the, um, as the leader, and the church is doing well today. But just to recognize that when I'm in the wrong place, usually the person that you're delegating to will tell you, Okay. Usually, or the church will suffer. The church will not grow, and there'll be there'll be broken divisions. Uh, again, that's it's a sensitive process, but the key is not to take it back. You want to come alongside, support it, and um, and allow them to make the decision to quit or not. Does that make sense? Do you follow me on this? So training is really important there. All right, number four. I know there's a lot of content tonight, uh, but this is important. Delegation only when appropriate, okay? So skills, information, and authority, and the capability to, to carry out the delegated responsibility, okay? I think Yvonne brings up a great point. If the pastor, let's say their skills are minimal, we are always growing. We're learning, Right? This is one thing in greater grace, we're always learning how to grow, right? We want to be stretched, personal expansion, right? Because my people are only going to grow to the measure that I have grown, right? So otherwise, we'll put pressure on people and have misguided expectations if we're not growing ourselves. All right, we'll, we'll ask for questions in a minute here. Um, number five, look at the team and the sub-team structure, Okay. So again, we're looking not only at the leader, but we're looking at the team under that leader, okay? So the team, right? Team, very important. 
team, very important, okay? It's not just a one-man show. It can't be. There's different skills, and I want us to look at a couple verses here because uh, we've done a lot of talking here. Look at Judges 6.16 with me. I'll tell you what, uh, who wants to read Judges 6.16 uh, and then Ezra 3.1? Who wants to take that one? Okay, Craig's got Ezra 3. Who's got Judges 16? 616. All right, Boyette. And there's and who's got uh, Judges 20, verse 1, verse 8, and verse 11? Who wants to take that? Daniel, you want to take that one? Yes, sir. All right, Judges uh, 20, verse 1, 8, and 11. And then Nehemiah 8, 1. That's one other one. Who's got Nehemiah? Emmanuel, you want Nehemiah 8, 1? Okay. So delegation. Okay. Now, again, if there's no one to delegate to, then just take your time. It's not about, act, not all activity is spirituality, and not all activity is progressive, progression. Not all, not all activity is, progress, is progression. Do you know what I'm saying? Not all activity is spirituality. Like if I'm trying to compete with a mega church and I'm a church of 100 people, then we're going we're gonna to destroy ourselves, right? So we want to find out, okay, what has God called us to do? And then we, we are doing that with our whole might, right? All right, Judges 6.16. Go ahead, Boyette. Listen to these verses. Power and unity is the point here. Yep. And the Lord said to him, Surely I, I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Uh-huh. Isn't that beautiful? Many people... One mission. Good. 20, 1, 8, and 11. Who, who did I give that to? Me. Go ahead. Then all the Israelites came out of the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mizpah, from Dan even to Beersheba, including the land of Gil Gilead. Gilead, uh-huh. Gilead. Verse 8, you said? Yeah. Then all the people arose as one man, saying, Not any of us will go to his tent. None of us will return to his home. Okay. Verse 11. Verse 11. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one man. Okay. What's the word we're seeing? We're seeing the word unity, right? Unity. Ezra 3 1. Who's got that? Um, and when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Good. Unity, right? Psalm 133, it's amazing. God commands a blessing when there's unity. Not my way, but what's the Lord's way? What is, what is my part of the whole? I'm not looking for the whole, right? Every person has a role. Nehemiah 8.1, let's get that, Emmanuel. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before they gathered the water. And they speak unto Ezra and describe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Beautiful. All right, let me show you something here in Ephesians chapter 4. Training. 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 I can't stress the value of this. Okay? Um, some things cannot be taught, they can only be caught. There's a, there's a catchphrase, wisdom is not taught, 
it's caught. Okay? What that means is there's only one way someone's going to learn at it, learn it, and it's to be exposed to it. So you can tell people all day long about your church, but when they walk in those doors, it'll be a whole other ball game. Remember Queen of Sheba to Solomon? What did she say? What did she say when she saw all of the splendor and, the, and his servants? What did, what, what did she say? Anybody remember? She said, the half was not told of me. She was blown away that what she saw was so much greater than what she heard. That's, that's what we want people to see. We want people to see Christ and him lifted up. All right, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 together. So unity. So delegation. Again, training will show us where, where people should be so they grow. We want people to grow and expand uh, well beyond us. And that happens as we give them resources. There's one secular rule, but I see it as a, also a Christian rule as well. You want to surround your people with more gifted uh, skill sets than yourself. This is a smart leader. You want to surround yourself with people that are more gifted than you. You do. What does that mean? It means I'm looking for someone that has a gift of evangelism. I'm looking for that person that has a gift of song leading. I'm looking for that person that wants to be an assistant pastor, the youth leader, the, um, the outreach director, the uh, whatever. We're looking for people to expand or in First Corinthians, First Chronicles 16, to enlarge our coast. Okay, one second, one second on that. Let me just read this verse, and I'll get to you, right, Evil. Uh, Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. Who wants to read that? Evil, why don't you read that? Ephesians 4. Unity. Listen, if there's more trouble in a team when there's arguing and uh, comparison and criticism, oh, it's like you're fighting, you're fighting amongst yourself. And believe me, that's a real killjoy. In a team, isn't it? It really is. Like, I want to have fun as we enjoy God, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. Let's look closer. Yeah. Which all, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one soul. Just as you, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. How many? One. One. Somebody asked me one time, how many people you have in your church? I go, I have one person in my church. Like one person, you're doing a bad job. <laughs> that one person was Jesus Christ, right? So this is this is the word endeavor, big word there. It's a military term that literally means you're on your stomach doing that crawl. It means you're you're literally working diligently to exert yourself to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Okay, not everyone's going to do it like we like us. Like, some people might have a different way of doing it. 
Training is not necessarily conformity. Training is you're hitting the same end goal, okay? If we're looking at the process only and not the end game, then guess what? We might have the right, uh, we might have the right conformity, but the spirit's not going to reach the end, end game. Okay, for instance, Pastor Olu's making calls. I'm listening to him make calls. Uh, he has his way. He does a great job, right? And I'm just listening to him. And oh, another good example is Sandon. We're, we're doing a, a turkey drive, right? And he's asking the questions. And, and then at the end, he says, how can I pray for you? Okay, why are we giving out turkeys at Thanksgiving? Uh, yes, because we love to bless families. But, but why are we giving out turkeys, right? Because, yeah, we want to demonstrate the love of God. We want to connect with families. How can I pray for you? How you doing? Are you connecting to greater grace? How are your kids? It's an excuse to love them. Yes. Okay, I don't care about turkeys. I mean, I care about turkeys, but <laughs> it's an excuse. I don't know if excuse. It's a reason. Okay. So my end game is not turkey. <laughs> Last year we gave out 90 turkeys. So what? I mean, I thank God for 90 turkeys. We got to reach 90 families. I'm interested in that. I'm interested to know, are they connecting to where we are? So training people not to be just in the process. Oh, that was done wrong. You should have said this. I mean, there are things to tweak and everything, but I want people to take the long look. Where are we going? Where are we taking people? What are we saying? How are we handling people? Make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Endeavor. It means it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. The shepherd must smell like his sheep. Mm-hmm. Yes, you had a question? We're going to close. Just because uh, you were talking about gifts, does a leader of uh, something needs to have, need to have the gifts always? Like, for example, do you need to have someone that, uh, that is an evangelist to lead the outreach? I would say all of us have the gift of evangelism, I would, if you're asking that specific question. But to answer it more specifically, yes, you want people that are trained to do what they're doing. Just like a heart doctor, you don't want somebody like a, that works on cars, you don't want them to work on your heart, right? You know what I'm saying? So I would say in regards to evangelism, that's something that we're all called to do. But a leader... Or, uh, <laughs> yes, if they're going to lead music, if they're going to lead um, counseling, like a counselor. It's, like, it's almost like you need a scalpel. You just can't go in there counseling with a sledgehammer. Like a, something, you know, obvious, like you're in a, someone's pouring out their heart, and they're just like, oh, you know. And, and you, you come back and say, uh, you're such a sinner. Repent. And have a good day. You know, for instance, that would be an example of someone that needs training. <laughs> right? By the way, what, what, what is the number one thing in counseling? What, what are we doing in counseling to help people? Listening. Listening and? Loving them. Loving them and? Leading them to Christ. Okay? I may not be able to answer their questions, even though I'm going to try. I may help them navigate. But the end game in counseling is this.
This is, this is what God's mind is for you. Okay? And what was the third thing we said about training? We talked about clarifying the mission uh, or clarifying the objective, uh, working backwards. What's the third one? Delegation. Delegation, yes. Yes, yes, yes. But there was a, there was a previous point. Yes, target and reassess mission. Let me just close with this. It is very easy to get into what's called tangents, okay? All right. Okay, let's say this is my mission. And we're, we're moving in that direction both ways, okay? It's very easy to get on a tangent. So this is our primary. And all of a sudden, we're working on the secondary. What does that mean? So let's say my primary is I want people to know the gospel and to be discipled in the gospel, okay? But what happens is I can, you know, get involved with comforts or preferences, and all of a sudden, my now my primary goal is no longer that they know the Bible, but now that they hear things that they want to hear, comfort, that, that it's more like a seeker-friendly gospel. This is dangerous, and this is why we need to reassess, and I say, I, I do it on a monthly basis, is what am I doing hitting the ultimate target? Because it's so easy to drift. It's so easy to drift, okay? We're going to go into a very, uh, next class, we're going to go into uh, questions that, that uh, define unity, and I don't have it here, but uh, being led by the Spirit shows us that Am I still hitting my primary, uh, my primary goal? So have a mission statement. Have something in your heart that shows you the target, right? For instance, anybody do any target shooting with a bow or a gun, right? Anybody do that with a gun, shooting targets? Nobody? Okay, what, what's, what are some things that you're assessing when you look at the target? What? I said I don't know what that is. Center mass, like that's the target where you're trying to hit the upper body. Oh, yes, center yes, yes, yes. Okay, yes. Center mass. Okay, center mass. Okay, gotcha. Um, but what are some what are some things that can affect hitting that target? The sight. The sight. Okay. What else? Wind. Wind. Yes. Well, you're a pilot, right? Sometimes. Your gauges, right? You have to, so your mission ultimately is to glorify God, right? That's ultimately in us and through us. But it's amazing in training, you can get off on like, okay, making that person feel good. Uh, I don't want to hurt that person, so I, I, I'm not going to be so direct with that person. Like We can get off into secondary things to people, please, and miss the point that we're being trained to be effective, if we're not effective, then we really need to reassess and get on our knees and say, God, I don't want to just be involved with technique here, but I want your spirit. I'm going to close this. Isaiah 10. Look at this. Isaiah 10. Training makes us effective. Okay? I mean, I've had Pastor Schaller say this to me often with our visitation team. It's better not to go on a visit 
than to send the wrong person on the visit. Okay? And we've said this before, if someone is combative or, or uh, they push back, then again, we're not defending Christ, we're presenting Christ. We've talked about that. And so that's an important point, that we have the tact and the ability uh, to handle people with great care and to answer their questions, really. All right, look at this, Isaiah 10, 27, interesting verse here. So when you're training, uh, people will fail. People will call you last minute and cancel. People will not show up. People will give excuses better than, than uh, it's incredible, the stories. You know, it's like, am I going to get mad at the person? Am I going to put pressure on that person? Am I going to rebuke that person? Hopefully not. That's happened before, right? Uh, <laughs> look at D.L. Moody. He had a major anger problem. He pushed one of his parishioners down the stairs. Look it up. He did it. And then God got a hold of his life. Uh, God had to train him in mercy. Well, 1027 it said, It will come to pass in the day that the burdens will be taken off, uh, away from the shoulders, and the yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. Okay? This is a great verse, and we've got to close now. But what's the most effective thing we can be trained in? And that's in the Spirit. And then a word, you won't need 100 words, you'll need two words. You won't need a hundred things, you'll just need one thing, right? And the primary, the main thing remains the main thing. So that's my question. When you're training other people, what is the main thing? And then point to that main thing and reassess, retarget. I go to a city, it's not responding, then we move on to another place, right? Reassess, reassess, and then recalibrate, okay? So we hit the primary target. Why is the church alive today? Why is the church here? Why are we here? Why are we here? Because glorify God. Glorify God, yes. Why else? Make disciples. Make disciples. If we stop making disciples, what are we, what are we doing? Killing the church. We're killing it. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. If we're not doing what we're... Uh, supposed to be doing in the sense of why we're why we exist, we need to step back and say, okay, wait a minute, whoa, we need to get on our knees, reassess, and, re and reinitiate things that bring us back to the main purpose. Why do we have a Bible school? Make disciples. Why is it that we have small groups to make disciples? Why do we have a church that's in uh, that's very active in the community? We want to connect people to Christ's life and to disciple people. When we leave the primary. Secondary, the, a lot of the churches in the world today are here. I'm sorry. It's not about pleasing people. It's not about doing everything that everyone wants to tickle their ears. I find that a lot of different, I was thinking about this recently, and i got to close, but a lot of deliverance comes through repentance. <laughs> I mean, I was in a counseling recently, and I was listening to a dear woman, and the only word that came to my mind was one word, repent. And I just graciously presented that to her. And we have so much obstructions because why? Because maybe the primary thing is that I learn how to repent and go to God. Anyway, any questions? That's a great way to end the class. Acts 3.19. Do you know that verse? Acts 3.19. Anybody know it? Turn to the Lord 
and there'll be times of refreshing in my spirit. Turn to the Lord. We want our team to be spiritually sensitive. We want our team to be spiritually awake, spiritually aware. And by the way, we're winners even if it doesn't work. Here's another example. I know you want to go home. Sorry. One last thing. In Odessa, Ukraine, I'll never forget it. We, we had um, a big play that we were doing, and we had uh, all of our literature was not uh, was forgotten. Somebody was traveling by train, and they forgot all the literature. Okay, so imagine we rented a huge movie theater, huge movie hall, and we had no literature. I'm like, okay, that's not good. A lot of people we, we trained for like a month to put on this big display, this big. Um, uh, play called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames, right? Amazing play. So we we have we get the literature two days before the event. Two days. Okay. I'm thinking to myself, that's crazy bad. Okay. Got and got the Holy Spirit just said, just start to pray. Just start to pray. So we broke up our teams into prayer teams and literally prayed. And we got the when we got the materials, we we spent a day and just did all that we can to get all the materials out. We had posters, but we had literally one day to promote it. Okay? One day, that's it, which is like not good marketing-wise because <laughs> you want a week or two weeks. So Holy Spirit said, pray, pray, pray. So we prayed. And you know what happened? We did this, uh, this Heaven's Gates Health Sling, and it packed the place out. Wow. I mean, couldn't even fit the people in the room. So I'm just saying, the best made plans, right? God doesn't anoint the plans, he anoints the man, right? So the best made plans may go sideways, but if God's in it, it's going to work. Amen. So our primary is we're tuned into God, and then everything else will work, amen? amen. And if it doesn't work, it wasn't meant to be. Amen. amen. Lord, bless us, and we thank you for our students and help us, God, just help us to really pour our lives into those around us for your glory. Amen. All right. Thank you so much. Do you want one?